Hello. Hi. Yes, we're back. You're on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga. We'll get into Jazz's two losses in New York with a New Yorker, Wozni Lambre, in just a moment. Him of the Athletic NBA, Black Opinions Matter Mondays, Count the Dings, all over. You know, if you listen and pay attention to the NBA, you know exactly what Wozni Lambre brings. Big Woz on Twitter. We'll be talking to him. And I know you're anticipating a full album review of TGF Prince, Mieoni's album. But you have to wait for that. Mondays with Naya. That's exactly what Mondays are made for. We'll be reviewing that album, getting you the reactions from players as well. We'll dive into it. Don't worry. But we have to pay our attentions to what happened during this week and view what some people have written about the Jazz. Charks over at the Ringer had a good piece about the Utah Jazz really laying into the foundations of the team where every part is cast in a specific role. And if one goes off, results go sour. And that was this week. Losing against the Nets without KD. Losing to the Knicks on Wednesday after having a 18-point lead. Zach Lowe, in his 10 things on ESPN.com, gave the Jazz the weirdest team award. And if you're a Jazz fan following this team, I understand how you could be so confused. Big wins. The Clippers against the Noah Eagles. Victory. And they were full strength. And then dispiriting losses. New York. Minnesota. Touched on it the podcast before. But slow starts for Quinn Snyder teams, it's sort of a habit. I look at those playoff squads that Quinn has had. As you could look at those, compare them more similarly to this, expectations at least. 2016, starting out in the first 15 games. 15 games, every GM, every executive you talk to, they love their roster. Everybody loves their roster in the first 15 games. After you get that sample size, that's when moves start happening. That's when things start changing. So 15 games. May not be the perfect one, but indicative of some of the struggles that previous Utah teams have had. 2016, 7-8 start. Including in there is a four-game losing streak. 2017, 6-9, another four-game losing streak. 2018, 7-8. And then last year, 10-5. But that season... No stranger to up-and-down performances. It's something Donovan brought up in his post-game at MSG. I've seen this before. They're optimistic about changing it. Everybody references that Rudy tweet. You know it. Say it with me. 3-2-1. We will be fine. What he said. Just a weird team. For Donovan and Boyan, starting out slow, it's just a matter of time to figuring out how to unlock their scoring. Now, if I may, to my favorite segment... Reading, this is from Zach Lowe's 10 Things, underscores that Utah remains caught between identities in a way that is hard to quantify. Sometimes they re-engage blender mode, passing and cutting defenses into a haze. Joe Ingles is usually on the floor for that. Sometimes they become the Mitchell show. Sometimes Mike Conley commandeers the offense. Set plays for Bogdanovich get sprinkled in. Utah is 29th in assist rate, and the Jazz ranked 4th two seasons ago. That's where it's at. 
They're just a weird team right now. As they try to figure things out with this short training camp, strangest of strange seasons, not having practices, shoot-arounds, few and far between, we'll need to monitor. Okay, before we get to Big Waz, as always, make sure you're subscribed. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Five-star reviews, that's all I'm asking you. I didn't mention it last time, but you can also access us on the new Jazz app. Download the Jazz app. There's a podcast button. Just click that. Bang. You can listen to the latest episode. And we've had good ones. We have Niall Campbell Mondays. We've talked to Noah. And, of course, Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Dennis Lindsay, joined us before the season. Listen to that one as well. I try to keep all of our conversations pretty evergreen so you can go back and revisit them. Because, listen, it's on-demand content. You have to listen right now, immediately, before they take on the Bucks or the Pistons. I understand you want to. You want to see how Utah responds after a New York trip that didn't go so well. What are they going to do against Detroit's length, right? Isaiah Stewart, kid out of Washington. He's fun to watch. How are they going to match that size? Could be a perfect game for a D-Faves, Rudy Gobert, side-by-side. But you get to choose. You choose when you listen to this. And I'm grateful that you do. Thank you so much for downloading. But it's a menu. You get to choose from the menu. I appreciate that you've chosen to eat at Round Ball Roundups. Thank you so much. How about the new logo? You like that? I like it. Looks great. Really appreciate the design team for getting that done. Now matches our new look, our feel, our brand, looking cooler. Enjoy the logo. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Get them hooked. Get them interested. We always appreciate referrals. And thank you so much for listening. Let's get to Waz. Big Waz. Wozny Lambright. Count the dings. He's an NBA podcaster, so we get into the podcast things. We're talking NBA-style power rankings where I lobby for Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley to make an appearance. Then we get into jazz topics and finally finish up with New York basketball, that Knicks-Nets dichotomy. Enjoy, because it's a fun conversation with Big Waz of the Athletic NBA. Thank you guys for having me, JP. I appreciate this, man. Um, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's crazy because I've actually been, you know, as a media person, you kind of lose all of your sort of team alliances. You kind of have to. You start to root for your own picks. And um, I've been a fan of Utah's teams basically going back to the Gordon Hayward, Rodney Hood, George Hill, you know, uh, Derek Favors iterations of the teams, right? Um, I just love those combinations. And I just love what they've done throughout the years, right? Getting Donovan Mitchell in there and reorganizing, reshaping without ever subjecting their fan base to horrific basketball. Like I'm somebody who's a big fan of competence as it pertains to basketball, right? Like I want to see people perform in a competent manner because I love the game so much. So I've just been a fan of what Utah does organizationally, how they operate, I think is very admirable. And as somebody who is from New York, and, you know, it's surrounded by family and friends who root for the team on 33rd and um, 8th, 8th Avenue uh, and 20 years of rank incompetence. 
you know, <laughs> I look at what Utah's doing. I'm just like, man, Nick fans deserve that, you know, for the loyalty that they've shown to the franchise. Like, I just have an admiration for what the Jazz do organizationally. So I'm, you know, I'm happy to be on today. Well, and, and that's why maybe last night's loss against the Knicks felt a little stinging for Jazz that's fans. Tough. That's tough. Uh, we'll get into the games. I, I want to get to the games. Don't worry. We'll talk about them. But starting off with those style rankings, mm. the Jazz have some style, and they certainly mm. have bumped up their Q rating with Donovan, with Rudy. <sighs> right, right. And now I think style-wise, if you're looking at it, Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson have upped the style game for this team, no doubt. Yeah, there's, there's no two ways about it. You know, the funny thing is uh, Rudy's a Frenchman. So, you know, European cats have a different way of doing things. In the recent years, American people, specifically rich public people, have definitely sort of more tailored their style to how Europeans dress and do their thing. And Rudy's of that, right? Like, and so it's, it, it comes natural to him to dress in a certain style. And I, and I respect what Rudy does. I think Spider Mitchell is definitely somebody who, before he became an uber billionaire, was not really thinking about how he looks and how he dresses in public. I think that's something that's new to him. And I could tell by the things that he does. And he's coming along and, you know, but you can tell it's something he's just started doing. Uh, Mike Conley, it's funny that you would bring him up because um, I happen to know who his stylist is, is a guy named Brandon Williams based out here in Los Angeles. And Brandon Williams, um, he does, he does uh, Jalen Brown. He does Rudy Gay. He does um, a variety of other people throughout the league. Like he's one of the more prominent stylists in the league. So I'm familiar with what Mike Conley does. And Jordan Clarkson um, happens to be in my personal, personal top three favorite people to watch on the fashion tip in the NBA because he is, if nothing else, an individual. Like there's nobody, nobody is doing what Jordan Clarkson is doing. Um, for example, my favorite thing with people, you know, because I started the, 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 the power rankings because it was just something I knew I could do every week. Um, clothes and sneakers is something that I've basically had an interest in since I was seven years old as a kid growing up in Brooklyn, New York, and then Queens right after that. Um, I knew th that since basically like 2012, NBA guys have started taking what they wear and how they look in public quite seriously to the point of hiring professionals to help them with it, like a Brandon Williams, like Courtney Mays, who does Chris Paul and, and um, Kevin Love, like my homegirl, Megan Wilson, who's done a variety of NBA stars, right? Um, that's how serious they take it. They're not just shopping and wearing stuff. They take it serious. And so I was like, these guys take it so seriously. It's some, I, I feel like, why not showcase this thing that they're really into? And so, you know, it, it, it's something that I, that I happen to be personally get a kick out of. And I know the guys are, are very interested in it. And that's why we do it every week. Just as a fun way to let, let our readers see a different side of what the players are doing. Obviously, they work on their craft and they're trying to be great NBA players. But this is something that they put a lot of energy into. Well, and we've seen it just in, in how big the culture has embraced basketball, shoes, lifestyle, mm -hmm. how it's all encompassing and the mm -hmm. NBA becoming a 365 day sport. Everybody is, is following it every single day of the year. It's grown. Was there a moment for you where it sort of clicked that, okay, 
the, there's a shift from the Tim Duncan don't care about what you're wearing <laughs> into the into the game to where we see more fashionable looks like uh, Jordan Clarkson or even uh, LeBron James, who was number one in the style rankings this week. So a couple of things. One, the first generation of guys that were considered the hip hop generation was Fab Five, your C-Webs, your AIs, your Stephon Marbury's, even Kobe, who was a rapper, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, who was an actual rapper, had an actual record deal with, I think, Sony Records, right? Like, they were the first wave of people who were just not just hoopers, but they were ushering in this other countercultural aspect to themselves as hoopers, right? So they were the first wave of that. And I think we saw quite clearly that the NBA's power structure wanted to buck against that. They didn't want to have the league affiliated with hip hop so explicitly, right? Like Allen Iverson, um, you know, he like with the chains and his own rap album so explicitly. But the thing is, you know, the NBA, because I tend to look at the NBA so um, more holistically than I guess most people do. Allen Iverson was influencing culture not just hoop fans, people who had a passing interest in the NBA got cornrows because of Allen Iverson. Like that's undeniable. This man st sparked a global revolution of hairstyles, right? Like this is just an undeniable fact from just being a basketball player. Like he's not a model. He's not an actor. He's not your typical sort of, you know, matinee idol, but he sparked a global revolution in hairstyles, right? From, Philadelphia as their point guard, shooting guard, whatever you want to call it. So those were the first guys who sort of incorporated the greater culture at large. Obviously, Michael Jordan was culture unto himself because he was Michael Jordan. But Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon and all of these guys, they weren't dating Kendall Jenner's of their day the way Devin Booker is now, right? Something that sort of changed in that and so so i say all of that to say you had ai in them first and then lebron in them they took it somewhere differently where not only were they you know they knew people would notice what they were wearing but they were getting attention from different kinds of people important people anna wintour and audemars piquet and all of these high-end luxury brands and high-end fashion people that traditionally didn't really give a damn about what Charles Barkley was wearing before games, right? Like, uh, LeBron James got a Audemars Piquet deal. <laughs> like, they, they, like, for those of you who don't know, this is one of the biggest watchmakers in the world. Like, people are getting deals with these companies. And that's where I think you started to see the shift. And where I think it really, really happened, I think you know, sort of the big bang of today, the modern NBA is the decision. That's when you saw the NBA went from being obviously a popular sport in America to being this, like you mentioned, 365 a day, a year sport. There is no off season. We're worried about free agency. We're worried about who these guys are dating. We're worried about like, <laughs> it's so holistic that James Harden's holdout is happening at the birthday party of Little Baby, one of the biggest <laughs> rappers in the world. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, that's how you need to know that the NBA is at the epicenter of culture at large. And, you know, I know people talk about the sagging ratings and this, this, that, and the third. But if you want to talk about the global reach of athletes in a sport, the NBA is number one 
by far outside of international soccer. Like when you talk about the collective Instagram, Twitter, social media following of these guys, there's no comparison across the board. They are the biggest athletes that America has to offer, right? Like make no mistake about it. These are the biggest celebrities in culture, period. Well, and that's why I look at what you're wearing right now, the Juve uh, shirt. I mean, Donovan had a moment where he was supporting Juve on FIFA, and we, just as, as Utah Jazz Digital, we had to jump on that because of course. it's a wonderful just uh, marriage of two brands, right? You have how big of a club that it is in Italy and how it has expanded to what it has become globally. These are the stars that you have to – to take mind if you're a sports fan right now in this very moment are, are these guys who are not only engaging with basketball, but soccer fashion and, and everything in between it's, it's so interconnected now. Yeah. And I think people just generally, I don't know. I, there's no right way to say this JP, but like NBA players are just cooler than the rest of our athletes. They just are. Um, people are interested in them in a different kind of way than they're interested in Mike Trout or Mookie Betts. They just are. Or I would even argue Aaron Rodgers, right? Like he's, he's an uber celebrity because he's been football's best quarterback for 10 years. But I mean, you look at somebody like a Matt Ryan, who is perennially a great player, a great quarterback. Um, most people couldn't pick that dude out of a lineup, man. You know what I'm saying? I was just thinking about it the other day. I was talking to a friend. I was like, I would not recognize Amari Cooper, who's one of the best wide receivers in the league, plays for the marquee franchise in the sport. They are the brand of that biggest brand of that sport. I wouldn't recognize Amari Cooper on the streets if he smacked me in my face. I swear to God. Right? And that's the difference. Um, that's the difference. Like the Devin Booker of the NFL would never be dating a Kardashian Jenner. That just would never, ever, ever be the case. Um, but in the NBA, it's, it's different. And it's got to be, you know, lesser rosters, of course. They're more visible. They don't have the helmet yeah, in front of, of them. But, of but it, the, the point stands. They, they are uh, much cooler. Somebody that is much cooler than anybody I've met is Jordan Clarkson. And yeah. Uh, you see him wear socks and sandals and your reaction is what? That's him. Um, I could tell, like my thing about Jordan Clarkson is that you can tell that he's bored by the conventional way that people look good. He's not going to wear a three-piece Tom Ford perfectly tailored suit. Yeah. That he can afford it. And that is, you wear that every nine out of 10 of your average Joe is going to say, wow, you look immaculate, impeccable. You look amazing. You're dressed to the nines. Jordan Clarkson isn't really interested in that reaction. Um, my favorite thing that he wore last year, and I don't know if he had been traded to the Jazz yet, but he wore a Chanel purse. I think that was before. Yes. <laughs> and I remember seeing this, and I was just so happy about it. Just the balls that it takes to do this and just to like, he's aware of what he's doing. He understands that he's in professional sports, which is 
allegedly the most hyper-masculine, testosterone-driven, manly, macho, blah, blah, blah industry that you can be in. And Jordan Clark says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wear a purse to work. I love that. I love that about it. I've never met Jordan Clarkson, never talked to him. But just how he's, he approaches his public visibility, I admire that because he's willing to do things that most people would not bring upon themselves. And he seems to do it unabashedly. I, I, think, that's something, I think that's something kids should um, aspire to, honestly, to be yourself and not be afraid of what might come with it. And if people don't like it, then those people aren't for you. If somebody doesn't respect you and love you, for the type of person that you are, whatever you might go out there and do. I, I just find that to be so admirable and fascinating, particularly from a guy who's a public figure in a hyper-masculine industry. All right, Waz, well, then why isn't he on the rankings? What's going on? So last, so the thing is, when you're trying to wrangle all of these things, and I'll give you this inside baseball, you either have to do it via social um, or you have to do it via the official means, which we have an account with Getty Images. Yep. So if you can't get it on Getty Images, because if y'all not doing it fast enough on your I side, know. you I know. Jazz, I know, I know, I know. We get beat to the it. punch. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I can't get it up there because, and even sometimes y'all might post it on y'all social and it's the fifth post. I yeah. can't post that on my joint. So sometimes because of technical difficulties, because of, contract rights and all of that like i can't go to the utah jazz official photographer and say why don't you just send me that and post it on the athletic there's a protocol for that so a lot of times guys don't make it because of stuff like that but believe me jordan clarkson is going to be a prominent prominent figure in my style rankings until i'm making style rankings okay <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so a little self-reflection on us we got to get it up faster yeah, we, yes, we got please. you now we got you now now that we know the criteria we, we will get it out faster looking at at mike conley we we touched on him a little bit earlier more of of what traditional sort of fashion sense what have you noticed from him and, and you mentioned his stylist is someone that you know um, so, you know, just to be clear, I don't know Brandon Williams personally, but I'm very familiar with his work that he's doing with NBA guys. But Mike Conley is definitely, he's not standard for you and I. Yeah. Because no. we're not. I'm wearing a team shirt. I'm wearing a team shirt. <laughs> there you go. Respect. Just for New York. All right. You know, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, he's definitely not in the standard of you and I as non-gajillionaires, but as far as the NBA silhouette, he's very much in the standard of that, um, of what these guys are wearing, whether it be stuff like Chrome Hearts and Palm Angels and Balenciaga and all of that stuff. He definitely fits within that frame, but I think he is somebody who's willing to take chances, more chances than your average Joe would take in his personal um, aesthetic, right? And, and I appreciate that about Mike Conley, especially because um, I actually, in an old job of mine, did an interview with Mike Conley, the only time I've ever gotten to talk to him personally. And he seems like he comes across as a very mild-mannered, really humble type of cat, right? And so I admire seeing him take chances in what he wears because it goes against what we think of Mike Conley to be as a person, not some extroverted, you know, I'm going to, make a show of myself type of person. He doesn't come across as that, but he will wear interesting stuff 
all the time. And so, you know, I'm somebody who likes that. I, 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 it's hard to toe the balance between not doing what is expected of you as far as what you're wearing and completely going against who we all know you to be. Like sometimes people are wearing things like, I know your girl made you wear that, fam. Do you know what I'm saying? That's not you. You wouldn't yeah. have got up out of bed, yeah. got out the shower and picked that out the closet. You wouldn't have went to the mall and got that for yourself. Somebody made you wear that. And to me, that's not style. To me, you should be trying to keep it within the bounds of who you are and how you want to self-express while also trying things, right? You shouldn't be afraid to get outside your comfort zone and try it. But sometimes when it seems too forced and guys are doing things and you're like, that ain't you, homie. I, I got to dock you points for that. Is there uh, going to ever be a not top 10 for the style rankings? Again, uh, you know, since, since we on the Utah Jazz show and we got to keep it funky, I actually went to my editor with this idea last year and we ultimately decided that we weren't going to do that. We wanted to be a space where we would celebrate guys um, and show love to the looks and highlight the guys who we really enjoy and just be, you know, be a, be a space for positivity. There's enough negativity out there where we don't have to be one of the sources where we pillory guys. But I will say in my copy, if you read between the lines, you'll get a sense of the guys who I'm not into and the, the trends that I'm not into that I find to be objectionable. Um, if you read between the lines, but I'll never come out and say, you know, for example, Kelly Oubre looks horrible 99% of the time. I'll, I'll never say that. <laughs> yeah, okay. And in a piece, just as an example, hypothetically, I would yeah. never say that. Well, somebody didn't hypothetically go after him. Shaq <laughs> went after Rudy Gobert. He did oh, uh, yeah. in an Instagram post and also on a podcast. The way I phrased it on, on the Monday pod was, I mean, it's Shaq. You have to realize, yeah. you know, at times uh, Shaq will try to insert himself into some sort of narrative. Like when Notorious came out, he had to share his story about being there when uh, Biggie was, was actually uh, murdered. Right. murdered. Uh -huh. Uh, uh -huh. For some reason, Shaq put himself there. Um, <laughs> you, have to, you have to realize that that's, that's the person that we're dealing with. We, and Rudy had a, a phenomenal response by saying guess we'll never know right <laughs> which is the only right. natural response that you can have in that situation how do you see this between Shaq and Rudy there's a couple of things and I and I understand and I have sympathies and understanding from all sides of the angle first with Shaq um when he came up you know what was deemed to be dominant to deemed to be um you know praiseworthy as a big was that you did have to drop 30 when yeah. your team needed you to do that. You did have to anchor the paint while also doing that, right? Like you did have to be the intimidator, the force. Um, and guess what? Shaq, by the way, was rewarded in his time for that. Um, he did sign a contract that was the biggest at the time, seven years, $126 million. He did sign an extension with the Heat after he get, got traded, five years, 100 mil, which was a huge contract in, in its time, right? And by percentage of the cap, Rudy's contract actually pales in comparison to how much Shaq was actually compensated for um, back when he was playing. But I understand what Shaq is saying. You know, when you look at what Rudy does um, on the court, back in his day, you would not have been compensated in the way that Rudy has been for that work. 
That being said, um, what Rudy does, as far as a lot of the thankless things that he does on the court to help his team wins, and I hate to bring up the kids because I actually hate when people bring up the kids, but I would want young hoopers to understand Rudy's playing the right way. Um, and I love that he's compensated for that, right? I think of a guy who is the anti-Rudy, Hassan Whiteside, who is the antithesis of what Rudy Gobert stands for as a player, meaning I don't go for needless blocks for the stat sheet. I deter suckers from even taking the shot at all, okay? That's, I deter people from even taking paint shots. That's big for my team, right? I set incredible screens for my guys all game while rolling to the rim and not actually getting the rock every time so that I can create some gravitational pull to open up things for guys around me. This guy is playing the game how you want your big to play. Yes, I wish he had better hands. Yes, I wish he finished better around the basket. Yes, I wish he had a 15-footer to speak of, of course. But when you're trying to teach young guys what their mindset should be and approach to the game as far as effort, as far as doing the unglamorous things that's not dunking on three people like how Shaq used to do, doing the unglamorous things that gets your teammates better opportunities and therefore helps your team win more games. I'm happy Rudy got paid. As somebody who loves the game, as somebody who wants to see people play the right way, you know? So I understand what Shaq is saying. And to a certain extent, he's right, <laughs> you know? Um, let's face it, offense is more important than defense. I know we like to be all altruistic and, and, and democratic about how we dole out praise, but the bottom line is it's harder to find a dominant offensive player than it is a defensive player. It's easier to bring a weak defender who is dope at offense up to the level that is necessary to win than a guy who has no offense you can't bring him to that level. It's harder. It's just a fact. Offense is more valuable than defense. And it happens to be more glamorous. But you can't take away from Rudy what he does because he does have offensive value to it. He isn't Giannis, but jazz fans aren't asking him to be Giannis. No, not okay. At all. There's not at there's all. no reason for you to start tweeting at Shaq screen assist, because then you look lame <laughs> now. Come on, let's let's dial it back, screen assist mafia. Don't, don't. Don't let's, do a screen. Assist. Yeah, let's calm down. <laughs> we can still live in the house that Rudy has built. Two-time depoy. He is all NBA. Okay, we get it. But no need to to result to the to the metrics that you don't necessarily understand and you don't really have a great grasp just to show that he's a better player than Shaq. You can, you can dial back on that. You don't have to yell at Shaq all day to keep it moving. What were you able to see from the Jazz just in the way that they played against? Uh, a couple of New York teams and what you've seen from them all year. It's been a little bit uneven four and four so far heading into Friday's yeah. game against the Bucks. I think, I think the, the New York performances, it's whack, but it, I think that can be chalked up to the wackiness of this season, the unpredictability of this year. Um, for me, things that I'm looking at, I like how comfortable Mike Conley looks. 
He didn't look discomfortable last season. I love the way he looks. He, he, he has better chemistry with Rudy and pick and roll. His jump shot, he's taking it with such confidence right now, which is huge as far as a pressure relief valve for the offense, which let's face it, folks, has been the problem for the Jazz in nut crunching time for them in the past few years. Could they get reliable quality looks in high leverage possessions of close playoff games. That's been the bugaboo. So for me, big picture wise, I like how things is looking. I like how Bogdanovich is looking, who again, wasn't there for the playoffs. Um, I wish we seen a little bit more bubble Donovan because I happen to be one of the biggest Donovan Mitchell fans out there. I wish we've seen more of that in the early going, but I have such an immense respect for his game. Um, his work ethic. I think all of these things are going to round into shape. And you guys who are watching this, and you, JP, you've watched the Jazz long enough throughout the few years. They always have some type of dull or lull or whatever, period. Every single season. It's never just a consistent, all right, we're going to be on a 53-win pace this season, and that's what we're going to do all year. No. this points of the season where they just go 24-5. and five. And you're like, where the hell was this all season, right? So they do this every single year. So I'm not panicked. I'm, I'm actually very bullish on this team. But again, I might be biased. I'm always bullish on these guys. I'm waiting for Donovan Mitchell. I think the only thing holding him back right now is literally he doesn't get to the free throw line enough. He's not good enough at drawing contact. He's, he's got the explosion the, the ball handling, the, he has all the tools. He just hasn't figured out how to do that Jimmy Butler thing where you force people to send you to that damn line, where he's a damn good converter at the free throw line. I'm waiting for him. To, once he takes his game to that, where guys have to follow him every time he's around the cup, and guys can't go completely under screens, and he's just going to be... D-Wade part two, man. I'm telling you, he's just he hasn't figured out how to get to the line yet. Well, and that's the thing. D-Wade part two lived at the line. I remember watching the 06 finals, and he's shooting 20 free throws Dude. In, in finals games. That's what thing, separates. And the thing is, if you didn't follow him, he was finishing. Yeah. Right? And I think that's what's huge for Donovan right now, though, because nobody can stay in front of this kid. So – he has avenues to get to the basket, and the Jazz have done a good enough job of spacing things out for him, putting enough shooters around him where the lanes are going to be there to get inside. It's now it's a matter of finishing or getting to the line, and I think that's what's separating him from where he's not at now to the Kawhis, the Hardens, the the top of the top as far as offensive output, he's not living at the line yet. And I'm sure he knows uh, exactly these points that are being brought up. Finish up here with uh, New York basketball because that's who the Jazz most recently played. And you see it on Twitter. You see it on NBA Twitter how much happiness is surrounding the Knicks right now. The hope, the <laughs> fact that they think they have a team was do they have a team out no, there with they, the Knicks? They don't have a team right now, but they shouldn't have a team right now, right? It's a team full of young guys. Um, and that guys are playing hard. 
guys are executing what is being asked to them at a reasonable clip is something to clap about. The wins and losses is going to even out. They don't have the talent to be a good team in the East unless you think Julius Randle is Carl Malone now, which I don't think we think. Um, they don't possess that talent yet, but you're watching things happen in increments with Barrett, Mitchell Robinson. You're watching things happen in increments. And Tibbs, for you know all his warts, nobody's ever said the guy couldn't coach. Right, and particularly with a young squad who's not going to roll their eyes at some of his more militant uh, tendencies, I think it's if you're a Nick fan, you should be proud of what you're seeing early on because you're watching some level of cohesion, a plan, a team. This looks like a team, right? They're not going to be good anytime soon, um, but they're in the right direction and, and, and you should be happy for that. I'll share a little antidote with you guys. A friend of one of my close friends from back home is he's the biggest Nick fan that I know. He has a Nick tattoo. Um, he's, he's recently had a, a son be born and he's already decking this kid out in Nick's gear, preparing this kid, you know, indoctrinating this kid into years of misery. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why they do it either. It's, I, it's you know, confounding. If, you know, whatever. And he texted me today. He was like, oh, the Knicks look so good. He said he was on such a high, so excited from watching the Knicks last night that he had a hard time falling asleep. <laughs> this is a man who has to be at work at 7 o'clock in the morning every day. The Knicks had him so excited. His adrenaline was pumping so much that he could not fall asleep last night, JP. Can you... <laughs> If you can believe that, that's the, that's the level of delirium and, and, and enthusiasm that the Knicks are able to engender within their fan base. So I went to Syracuse for those working at home. Dink, this is the Syracuse mention of the podcast. <laughs> All of my friends are Knicks fans. Everybody that I, I went to college, they're just Nick, Knicks, 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 Knicks. I get the text last night when they beat the Jazz. <laughs> I felt it. I saw it in the group chat. I know exactly uh, what they're feeling, how they wouldn't trade uh, anyone on the roster <laughs> at all right now. Okay. All right. You want to live with that? Let's check up in, in a, three months and we'll see where we're, where we're at. Of course. Of course. Uh, but, you know, it's good to see the young kids, some type of structure and something to look forward to, something like a goal to achieve. Like, it's good. It's, it's different for the Knicks, some type of structure. What's the difference between – it's hard to describe it to people who aren't in New York. The difference between the Nets fandom and Knicks fandom. Oh man, it's it. <laughs> I mean, the the Nets are the Clippers. The Nets <laughs> are the Clippers in this equation. First of all, the Nets before they came to New York, they were in New Jersey, which would have ultimately been fine if they were in some place like Newark or Hoboken, Jersey City, which is easily accessible from not just New Jersey residents, but New York residents as well. Um, they didn't. They played in a place called East Rutherford, New Jersey, a.k.a. The Swamp. Nobody knows where this place <laughs> is. Nobody can find East Rutherford on a map. Yeah. So for decades, they played in a backwater of the tri-state area, right? Couple that with very minimal success outside of the Jason Kidd Kenyon Martin, Richard Jefferson era of things. So minimal success. You play in a backwater. Um, it's not going to happen. And in that time, you have to figure 
The Knicks won those championships in the 70s. They draft Patrick Ewing in 1985, and they are competent for 15 straight years. Eastern Conference playoffs every year perennially, perennially made the finals, conference championships, all of that. Made the finals twice, okay? All of this. For 15 straight years, they are competent, and they are the only competent basketball product in the tri-state area, save for St. John's. Stores Connecticut might as well be Boston if we're being real. <laughs> um, so UConn is not in the equation. Rutgers stinks at college basketball. And so they are the in a basketball-crazed environment. They are the only competent product, and they are literally delivering happiness for their fans for Two, damn near two straight decades of competence. The Riley Knicks, right into Van Gundy, right? Like, it was great to be a Knicks fan. You could root for something that was routinely good, competent. Fast forward to, 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 to I think, 2001, James Dolan took over the team from his dad, and it's been literally 20 years of, of misery, 20 years of the opposite. But they engendered all of this goodwill amongst the entire city of New York and the surrounding areas that people, it's, it, it, I can't even, just, it's, it's more than a love affair. It's an obsession. It's, it's all give, no take with the Knicks fans, man. Um, and that's what it is. The Nets now, you know, they finally move into Brooklyn. And their crop of fans are two people. It's the ethnic minorities of Brooklyn, not New York City. Um, for those of you watching, New York City is comprised of five boroughs. There's Manhattan, the Bronx, Staten Island, Queens, and Brooklyn. The, the ethnic minorities of Brooklyn sort of embrace the team because, again, the Knicks being the only show in town, it don't matter how sucky the team is. It costs you a pretty penny. Yeah to get some tickets into Madison Square Garden now. Like, go on um, any StubHub or whatever when they start the ticket sales back up. The Knicks have sucked for 20 years, and their ticket prices are comparable with the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers, two of the most expensive cities in the world who have delivered championships to their people within the last 50 years, Okay. And tickets so, were like this with Jerome James. Is yeah, 100%. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. Um, and so if you are ethnic minority in Brooklyn, you've sort of been priced out of the garden anyway. It's a trek for you. They immediately embraced the Nets, which was way more affordable. Brand new arena. They immediately embraced the Nets. And the second component of that are the yuppies, the hipsters of <laughs> Brooklyn, New York, of just the, the young urban professional crowd of New York City who emigrated from places like, let's face it, Salt Lake City, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, the rest of the country, flyover country as us coastal elites like to call it. Those now transplanted people have embraced the Nets as well because many of them do live in Brooklyn. So there isn't this traditional, you know, sort of indigenous people groundswell around the Nets. It's one borough because that's where the team is located, and new New Yorkers. That's why when you watch their stuff on TV, it's people golf clapping and whatever. It's all corporate suites and, you know, people on dates with their girl and taking their kids for a little night out. It's not some, you know, 
group of people that always love the Knicks. And also the difference between the Jets. I think the Mets are the best example of the difference between that in the sense that before the Mets came in 1960, whatever it was, there were two other teams that were not the Yankees who both left town. The Dodgers and the Giants both left for the Bay Area and Los Angeles. The Mets stepped into a vacuum of people who already hated the Yankees, right? Like this hatred already existed and the Mets filled that, that, that void easily. They said, oh yeah, I got a new team now. I can still hate the Yankees with this new team that sort of and the Giants hate the Yankees and the Giants because Jets Mets of course and so they stepped right into that void and football you know football being a different thing the Jets do have a a huge passionate fan base I'm sure there's more probably more Giants fans than Jets fans but the disparity is nowhere close to Knicks and Nets there's no competition and again the Mets stepped into a vacuum of people traditionally who literally hated those damn Yankees and you know, and the, again, the Mets had the Miracle World Series. They delivered outcomes for people pretty early in their existence. And so, you know, that passion still withstands today. And I'm here to tell you, I'm a, you know, a miserable Mets fan. <laughs> Same with Donovan. Do things change with Brooklyn getting better, with Kyrie and KD starting to come in the fold? They got to prove it on the court. I think people will. And, but another part of it, honestly, JP, if we're being real, I don't want to say Kyrie and KD are unlikable, but they're not exactly Donovan Mitchell, if you get my drift, right? Which I think is going to make it harder for people who want to get off the Knicks boat to latch on. I don't know that people are going to want to latch on with Kyrie's fake media silence and all the stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. KD, who's even just like, I'm off of media. I'm off of it. Not to say that these guys aren't individually quality human beings, but how they self sort of um, project in the public space, I don't know that they're nice and cuddly guys that people are going to want to let go of the Knicks for. I don't know that. And they have to deliver the outcomes, right? So that remains to be seen. I think... You can peel off fans, but man, Nick's, Nick's devotion is, it's like nothing I've ever seen in my life. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Man. Well, we, we saw it in the Jazz's mentions last night, so we definitely, <laughs> we definitely have firsthand knowledge with Nick's devotion. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> he is the athletic NBA, count the dings, black opinions matter, Waz Lambre on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Waz, thank you so much for taking the time, and we look forward to the next NBA-style power rankings. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me, man. And have, uh, invite me back on anytime. Salute you guys. Salute you guys.